The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. I want to invite you to be seated. And I want to ask Gary Nelson to come join me here. Gary is our guest preacher this morning. He is uh, most recently the bishop of the, di- the missionary diocese of Northwest Australia, uh, one of the largest dioceses in the world. And uh, I asked Gary if he was officially retired, and he said, well, not really. Bishops aren't really allowed to retire. Uh, Gary continues to serve within the church in Australia. He also continues to serve uh, in Papua New Guinea and in other places, uh, teaching, preaching, leading, and equipping God's people. Uh, He and Christine, his wife, were here uh, for a brief visit in December, and he is back now uh, to preach to us this morning. It's great to have you here. Let me pray for Gary, and then we'll hand things over to him. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of your servant, Gary, for the partnership we've had over the years. We ask that you would continue to bless him in his work and ministry. We pray especially this morning that you would teach us from your word through him, that we might hear the good news of the gospel once again. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. Well, friends, it's uh, lovely to be back, and um, I love uh, coming here, and and it's been um, uh, something I've regretted with COVID not being able to to come. Um, In Western Australia, the borders were all locked, so couldn't get out, and uh, it meant I had to look after four churches for the last couple of years because I couldn't get ministers in. (laughs) So uh, being the only sort of conservative uh, diocese in the state and the only conservative bishop, um, it was uh, difficult. But uh, things have changed a bit. As John was saying, I've just finished up my term there as bishop. Um, I'm thankful for not having to um, drive from Charleston to Denver anymore, um, nor look after an area bigger than Alaska. Um, But I'm still involved with the diocese as I seek to encourage gospel partners to pray and support our missionary diocese, for in most of the towns we are the only church or the only church with a minister. So it's still a vital work that carries on. I'm still also the chair of our company that we formed to coordinate the mission work towards seafarers, uh, for in the diocese there's the largest port in Australia as well. 
and normally there's five to 6,000 seafarers in our missions every month. So a huge mission field to take the gospel to the nations. We don't have to go anywhere, the nations all come to us in the Northwest. So it's really great to be uh, with you this morning and uh, to be able to take this opportunity to share a really VIP message concerning sinners, scoundrels, scoundrels and outcasts. And there was a sign-up sheet at the door and you were asked, no, no. Um, (laughs) But it's an interesting title for a church series, isn't it? And I wonder what might come to mind when when you hear that. Um, Perhaps sinners, uh, people that God regards as really bad people, perhaps? Scoundrels? Those we regard as really bad people, especially if they've ripped us off. Outcasts? Well, the way we treat sinners and scoundrels, isn't it? And over this next month or so, we're going to be meeting some of the sinners, scoundrels and outcasts that Jesus Christ met. People from varying backgrounds and life experiences, including the rich and the poor, the influential and the powerless, the religious and the non-religious. But most significantly, how Jesus responded to them. So we hope that you'll be encouraged and challenged as we step back into the first century world of Jesus Christ. Well, guess who's coming to dinner? It's a question my wife Christine often asks me, especially at Christmas time. Since Christine has the delightful habit of inviting anyone she comes across during the day to come home for dinner. So arriving home can be quite a surprise as I discover who's the dinner guest. Now John just read to us from Luke 19 a story about a surprising dinner guest. Someone I'm sure would have led many people to ask, guess who's coming to dinner? So come with me as we explore this surprising dinner guest. Now the setting for this incident is in the city of Jericho. So let's, in our mind's eye, go back 2,000 years to the city of Jericho, one of the oldest of cities. A city in a desolate countryside with a barren and dry horizon. A hot, stifling city about 250 metres below sea level the heat that I really have wished for when I was with my son in New Hampshire in the cold. (laughs) Yet amazingly, the city offers cooling springs to refresh a weary traveler. We're going back to Jericho, a prosperous oasis city in a harsh and thirsty land. And as Jesus enters into this city, a dramatic and life-changing event occurs as he becomes a surprising dinner guest. Now the writer, Dr. Luke, sort of physician and historian, brings a well-researched account to us, and you can check it out at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, how he went about it. But it's an account which draws us into a world dominated by the Roman Empire, a world established by military might. But just like any government, it required taxes to maintain building and roadwork programs and especially to pay its soldiers. 
So as Luke 19's story opens, we find Jesus entering through Jericho, this city, which happens to be the home of a chief tax collector. Now Jesus isn't intending to cool his hot, dusty feet in the refreshing springs of Jericho. Why? Because Luke has told us earlier on that his eyes are set on reaching Jerusalem and facing the climatic events of his life. But as Jesus comes into Jericho, he confronts a tax collector in desperate need for a change, a man he won't ignore. And so he delays that 18 mile or so steep climb from Jericho into Jerusalem and his life's final destination. So Dr. Luke provides the thrust of what's taking place as he writes in verse two, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So as we come into the city of Jericho, we are captured by this man Zacchaeus. He grabs our attention. Essentially, as a tax collector, you're a contractor for the Roman government, the Roman occupying forces. And so he collects taxes from the Jericho Jews and a toll payment for anyone going up the hill to Jerusalem. But Zacchaeus, like other tax collectors, takes more than the Romans demand. For tax collectors were well known for extorting money by dishonest means, often accompanied by violence, all to increase their bottom line. A true scoundrel indeed. And so a Jew like Zacchaeus working for the Romans is a recipe for hostility and social rejection. He's an outcast within his own society. I'm sure the locals would have branded Zacchaeus a traitor and a thief. He wouldn't have been nominated for any popularity awards, nor for the best citizen of the year. Now just imagine that we were in that jostling crowd around Jesus, and we see Zacchaeus and wonder, What's he doing here? And Dr. Luke explains in verse three, he says, Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. But account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So here's this vertically challenged man seeking to see Jesus. But the crowd's blocking him. And you can understand why, isn't it? He's the tax collector. <laughs> and he's too short to look over the heads. So he's got to think quickly, hasn't he? And we read that he runs ahead, then climbs a sycamore tree, I guess dangling his feet over the limb and looking down to see what's happening and to see where Jesus is. But I guess the question that comes to us at this point is, why is Jesus attracting a crowd? Why is this essential nobody from the backwaters of Galilee in this small little town of Nazareth attracting attention? Perhaps because his reputation has preceded him. 
a reputation grounded in eyewitness accounts from towns and villages all over the country describing Jesus as someone that was healing people suffering from disease and sickness. Someone that could command the forces of nature and say, still, and the storm stops. Or performing miraculous deeds like turning a little boy's lunch into a meal to feed 5,000. As well, some probably may have heard or had seen Jesus teaching with authority, often leaving self-righteous religious leaders speechless and angry. They may have heard Jesus saying and doing things that really only God should be saying and doing, or at least the, the promised Messiah. So people couldn't but ponder, is Jesus more than simply a man? Is this Jesus perhaps even the promised Messiah, the one God had said he'd send? Or is he, in, in Isaiah's words, the, the God come to earth? Who is he? With so many mind-blowing questions about Jesus, it's no surprise that crowds gather and fill the streets of this oasis city. But if you'd have been there, what a story you would have had to tell your grandchildren that would reverberate through the ages about what took place next. We know that Zacchaeus is trying to glimpse Jesus, sprinting ahead, climbing that sycamore tree. It's a sturdy tree with um, branches and evergreen leaves and good place to climb. Kids would love it. It's not really the expected action of a wealthy and a powerful man. Could you imagine John sort of running down and climbing up in a tree to look at the parade? Well, not quite. It's not what was expected. What's the reason? Why is he so keen? Why the urgency? Perhaps Zacchaeus had heard about how Jesus had healed a blind beggar on the outskirts of Jericho. Or perhaps he'd heard stories about Jesus eating with tax collectors. But whatever Zacchaeus' reason, Jesus has an urgency of his own. Remember what he says? Zacchaeus, hurry, get down here. I'm coming to your place tonight. Hope you've got a good barbecue. You see, this urgency of Jesus is being driven by his mission. A mission that will be completed in his death and resurrection in Jerusalem. But today, as Jesus confronts Zacchaeus, is an opportunity, an opportunity for a lost tax collector to be found and saved. By Jesus being Zacchaeus's guess who's coming to dinner guest, he's graciously extending the hand of forgiveness and salvation. To, what every, to someone who everyone would regard as an unworthy recipient, the tax collector of Jericho. But as Jesus comes to Zacchaeus, the unexpected happens. And an incredible change takes place in Zacchaeus' life. 
Yet the mood on the street doesn't quite match the thankful joy in Zacchaeus' house. The locals are shocked, muttering, he's gone to be a guest in the home of a sinner. That's just not on. Friends, meeting Zacchaeus as Jesus comes into his life changes him. And he shows that change in repentance and remorse by repaying those he'd unjustly taken money from. And so we read him standing up and saying, Behold, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. Gee, he must have ripped off a lot of people, must not he? <laughs> Zacchaeus gladly welcomes the hand of grace offered by Jesus and responds with a hand of repentance. Zacchaeus is a changed man. His life turned around through meeting Jesus. So as we sit here this morning, we are asking ourselves, how does Zacchaeus, the sinner, scoundrel and social outcast, how does Zacchaeus meeting Jesus impact us today? Well, the answer lies in the punchlines of verses 9 and 10, the 30-second grab that the media likes so much. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, since he, Zacchaeus, is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. See, these last two verses spotlight the meaning and significance of Zacchaeus's encounter with Jesus. Jesus is saying that salvation being right with God comes through meeting him. See Zacchaeus uh, attempts to see Jesus. Perhaps he wasn't sure what might happen. <laughs> Maybe he was just curious about the preacher who eats with tax collectors. Or perhaps he was hoping for something more. But what an incredible end to the day when he meets Jesus. There's no doubt that he's a sinner and a scoundrel. After all, he is the chief tax collector and very wealthy. And the crowd agree. Maybe no one could even dream of someone like Zacchaeus, the cheating tax collector, being right with God, being saved. Yet guess who's coming to dinner at Zach's house is Jesus. Friends, I wonder if we ever feel the same way. I wonder if at times we wonder if we can be right with God because of our backgrounds, because of things that we've done that only perhaps we know and maybe we still carry around and are grieved over. Perhaps at times we may feel that if people really knew who we were deep down, then nobody would want us as their friend, and certainly not God. But if Zacchaeus can be saved, then anyone can. For none of us are beyond the reach of Jesus. 
But this punchline is also saying to us that salvation being right with God is Jesus' central thrust, his central mission. And Jesus explains that to Zacchaeus, doesn't he? He comes to seek and to save the lost, to enable sinners and scoundrels and outcasts to be forgiven and become forever members of God's family. Friends, the Bible tells us that we're all like Zacchaeus, that we'd have to tick all three columns, sinner, scoundrel, outcast before God. Each of us has a bias to put ourselves first, leaving God out of our lives, unwilling to let God run our lives as the loving king and creator. Sometimes, of course, it's not so much just outright rejecting God, but rather trying to use him as a, as a safety net if all else fails, or, or perhaps when we knock on death's door, calling out to him. But God isn't interested in that sort of relationship because it's really all or nothing when it comes to God, as he demands our absolute allegiance. We cannot serve two masters. So there's a warning here. Keep leaving God out of our lives and God will leave us outside his forever family. And so eternity will be a disappointing disaster instead of joy and blessing. Zacchaeus' life spotlights what it's like to have it all, yet really own nothing of any lasting value. He desperately needed a saving change. And in meeting Jesus, that change sinks deep into Zacchaeus' heart. You see, meeting Jesus is life-changing, since he's the only one who can turn us from God's foes into God's friends. And he does that by taking the just punishment we deserve for being sinners and scoundrels and outcasts upon himself as he dies on the cross for you and me. And that wonderful truth is expressed in a couple of lines of a favourite song of mine which says, Amazing love, oh what sacrifice, the Son of God given for me. My debt he pays, and my death he dies, that I might live. How incredible that God both plans how our forgiveness will take place and then bears its cost, the debt of judgment on rebellion. Friends, Zacchaeus' forgiveness and acceptance by God through Jesus shows itself in thankfulness and joy because God's friends can't hide their relationship with him. They can't lock it away in a cupboard. As Zacchaeus repays those he's wronged, it displays the impact of the life-changing encounter with Jesus. And so his life's turned around. That putting God first is what's needed now. Being committed to God's concerns is what's needed now. Shaping his life by God's priorities is what is the focus. If you indeed have turned and followed Jesus, is that true for you too? God first. God's concerns first. God's priorities overwhelming everything else. Who'd have thought the guest who's coming to dinner guest 
would change Zacchaeus' life so profoundly and forever. So I cannot but ask, have you experienced a life-changing meeting with Jesus like Zacchaeus? Has Jesus been the surprising dinner guest at your home? Jesus offers that opportunity for a life-changing meeting to everyone. I can't think of a better offer. If you haven't met Jesus, don't waste another day, for your eternity is at stake. So I'm going to finish with a prayer reflecting a desire for that life-changing meeting and friendship with God through Jesus. Perhaps as you're here this morning, that may be where you are and you know that need in your own life. Perhaps this prayer may be your prayer as I finish. Let me pray. Dear Father God, I know I'm a sinner, lost and in need of being found. My heartfelt desire is to turn from putting myself first to repent of my sin and so to follow Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. Lord Jesus, thanks for your death and resurrection on my behalf. Forgive me and change my life forever. Amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer, that's just absolutely terrific. You can be certain that God has heard you. But if you did, it'd be great to talk to someone before you left today. John or anyone on the staff here. Or they are able to offer help. So God bless and thank you.